This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. On tonight's episode, we chat NRL with ex-Bulldog and ex-Panther CEO, Corey Payne. Hello and welcome to The Back Pass. My name is Ali Milwala and I'm your host for tonight. Today, I'm joined by my usuals, Kevin and Shivank, and we have a very special guest, Corey. Hi, Corey. Welcome. Hey, Ali. How are you, mate? How are you guys? Hello. Hey, how's it going? So very special guest, uh, Corey Payne. Welcome. We, Corey, you played 131 first grade games and then at the age of 28, which is about, about 10 years ago, about one decade ago, you decided to retire and hang up the boots for other opportunities. What was that like? Because you didn't have any injuries or any significant moments that said, I need to walk away from the game. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I was still probably quite, you know, young to retire. I still had a, a year to run on my uh, contract at the time. So I'd signed a two-year deal um, with the with the Bulldogs at, well, midway through 2011 and uh, it was going to take me through 2012 and 2013. Um, and that season, uh, we had a coach change. So midway through 2011, uh, Kevin Moore was the coach and then there was a decision made by the board at the time to, to make a change and – Jim Dimmick came in and then he caretake, uh, or he was the caretaker for, you know, the remainder of the season while, uh, the CEO at the time, Todd Greenberg was working in the background to, to sort out who the next coach would be. Um, ends up being Desi Hasler. Desi had gone on and won the grand final that year, uh, with, with the, uh, the Seagulls, um, and came across to the Bulldogs. And, um, it, it was a completely different, you know, approach to, to, you know, what we'd been used to. Um, he, he, he's very, very different coach and the way he approached the game and, you know, just his personality in general is pretty, um, he's a bit of an eccentric character as you, you've probably seen over the years. Uh, but, yeah. uh, anyway, um, it was, a, it was a really good year, I, I must say. And, uh, you know, to answer the question, I played every game that year. I was fortunate enough to, to be part of a city country game and, you know, Albeit, you know, we lost the grand final, got to be part of the, the grand final team as well. And mm. um, for me, you know, I got to the point where I'd played in grand finals, all three grades at the Bulldogs. Um, I was a Canberra junior growing up and and I pretty much played, you know, um, that, you know, um, that grand final. And, you know, there were some other things happening in my life at the time, which I'll go into. But um, I just started to think about what was next. And I had a great mentor outside of outside of footy and, you know, he was encouraging me to go and complete an MBA and, and go and do some studies. And I'd organised and submitted a, an application and had been accepted to go and do an interview at a school in Switzerland, in Lausanne, called IMD, um, business school. So I sort of, you know, ha- had that to look forward to. And I flew to Lausanne um, two weeks after the grand final and attended, you know, a, a, an assessment centre there. And I came back to Australia and I was sort of super motivated to go and do the MBA and, you know, thought, oh, geez, there's, there's such a world of opportunity out there and there's so many other different things I can do. Mm. And, um, 
Yeah, you know, I got a phone call literally the day I got back from from Switzerland, and it was a lady with a very croaky voice, and I thought it was one of the boys winding me up, saying <laughs> I'd been uh, nominated for, for Young Australian of the Year, and I thought it was a bit of a G up because I like to play a joke when I was you know play, playing footy and got away with a fair few of them in that year when Desi was the coach. So um, I, I thought it was a, a bit of a G up, but it didn't turn out it was actually a you know serious conversation and. Um, yeah, so I ended up attending that a few weeks later and I was, you know, got the New South Wales Young Australian of the Year and had this idea of, um, you know, the, the MBA. But also in 2012, I've been awarded what's known as a Winston Churchill Fellowship, travel around the world and conduct study. You know, my study was focused on going to, to sporting organizations and looking at how they use sport as a, as a hook to get disadvantaged young people into further education. So I sort of lined up to go to Ayrton Centre Institute in Sao Paulo, you know, to the Hayi and Leonardo, Andaco Gordeletra, also, you know, in, in Sao Paulo and the favelas there, um, head across to the UK, the Princess Trust, to Man United in, in Manchester, obviously, and Leeds Rugby Club and um, Oxford and some other different places in the UK, right. up to, to Spain, to the Laureus Foundation, FC Barcelona, and down through South Africa to um, a bunch of different organisations and spending time living on the Oprah. Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls. So that was sort of on the on the agenda to complete. Um, obviously got the call and, you know, was awarded the Young Australian of the Year thing. Um, and then I had, had a Masters of Commerce. I was almost finished at Sydney Uni. And then I had this charity that I'd started up, the not-for-profit Future Direction Network, um, and we were starting to build up a sort of head of momentum. And then there was one year to run on my contract at the Bulldogs after, you know, having played the, you know, the, the entire season the year before and been runners-up in the grand final. The question really came to, you know, what what does it mean to me and what would it mean to me versus, you know, what could I go and, you know, experience and what could I go and do and, you know, what would the next part of my life look like and, you know, going through those conversations and the trade-offs, ultimately leading to, to a call to, to hang up the boots at 28 and, you know, finishing up with the, with the Bulldogs and starting that next chapter of my life. Hmm. So to recap, Ali thought he could open up the show with the zinger directed at our guest. And then, yeah, and then Ali got told to sit down. Uh, Look, it's, I, not, it's not my first radio, boys. You know, like, I've, I've had to answer that question multiple times. You so. definitely have. Definitely been there before, Corey. I can tell. Um, that's, there was there was a lot of words in there that I do not know that you said in your story. Um, <laughs> a lot of places there that sounds sounds amazing. So that, is that what is that what 2013 ended up being? Mate, 2013 ended up being one of the best years of my life um, that I, I look back on with fond memories, and it was such a, a a a beautiful, smooth transition out of rugby league. And you know, we all think about mm. that time in our life, and we all think about. Um, you know, especially when we get a bit older, when, when that time will come and when our career mm. sort of end, um, and you sort of, you know, you're not thinking about it, you know, at the start of your career and you start to, you know, work towards that yep. midway. But I, I look back and, you know, with the young Australian stuff, I got to travel around the country. I got to go to many different places throughout New South Wales. I got to meet, um, a number of the royal family. I got invited to, <laughs> wow. you know, the, the, um, uh, Kirribilli House when you know Tony Abbott was the Prime Minister and Prince Harry was there and I got to attend the Opera House when Prince Charles and Camilla were there who obviously is now the King and, and the Queen Consort. Mm-hmm. 
I, you know, got to take the time and travel around to, you know, the, those countries I mentioned and as part of my Churchill Fellowship. I got to attend the World Economic Forum on East Asia in, in Myanmar, of all places, and bumping into Ian Ooh. Thorpe um, nice. you know, and, and Andrew Forrest. So I got to meet him. And, um, uh, it was, Ian it was, Thorpe is like equivalent to Prince Harry. He's a, he's a bit of a <laughs> – He uh, is definitely a guru. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I got to shake Tony Blair's hand and you know, all these things. I just thought, you know, that, that, that was amazing. sort of all pretty cool. Mm. And finished my Master of Commerce at Sydney Uni that year. And we, you know, I, I sat down with Julia Gillard um, in a, you know, uh, you know the, the election sort of campaigning out at, at Western Sydney. And that sort of culminated in a $500,000 um, grant to, to the charitable organisation I'd set up. Um, you know, spent time with the Premier at the time, Barry O'Farrell, also, you know, on behalf of the state, supported the, the the charity and, you know, we got to raise a lot of money and set up the, the Future Direction Network for a very, you know, long and sustainable um, period. So, you know, it, it was a year where I achieved many things. It was a year where I got to travel a lot and got to meet a lot of people and it was a year that um, I couldn't have sort of hoped for post my, my retirement. It was just a, a wonderful transition out of out of rugby league. So wow. just a quick question there, because you hear about all these horror stories about like really famous, successful footballers coming out of or going into retirement and struggling. What do you reckon made the difference for you? Was, was it having that mentor to guide you? Well, I think the short answer to that, Kevin, is that I wasn't famous and I wasn't successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I mean like if, let's, problems, let's, right? <laughs> well, if you put it into context, you, you're a grand like, like in all seriousness, mate. You played in the grand final. Like the amount of players that would love to have that experience, just in itself. Um, yeah, I'm sure I there's look, like hundreds. I, I think you know, like it, retirement comes for everyone that plays professional sport, whether it's you know, <laughs> whether it's you know it's something that is under your control or it's something that's forced upon you um, mm. through injury or form or whatever that may be or, or age, um, mm. you, you always sort of, you know, it, at some point it's going to end. For me, I was pretty fortunate that, you know, my parents had encouraged myself to, you know, and my brother and sister also to go to university. So I always had that idea of study and further education, you know, that at some point I would go into what I would describe as meaningful work and, you know, working as a professional of some sort of um, capacity that, um, I also was very fortunate that I had a, a, a wonderful mentor who, um, you know, was super generous with his time. And I had, um, you know, a couple of other, other really strong voices in my life that were, you know, very much mentors as well in helping me think about that next step and helping, you know, help that yeah. transition, you know, be as smooth as possible. And I think that, you know, can't be understated the power of the mentorship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's also interesting because um, Chanel Chanel Harris Tavita has made a similar decision that he made last year to then you know walk away from rugby league and take like kind of like a gap year as well. You think more players should do that because it is a long career. It's a you know it's a attrition based sport. You put you put your body through a lot. Should should more players be taking that gap year just to mature? I'm not sure if the gap year is the, the solution. I, I don't think I would want to waste a year that I had available in terms of, you know, playing the game and, and doing that. Um, 
the, the other side to the equation is the, the responsibility, so so to speak, of the club and the and the game not to rush players through and give them a chance to mature and give them a chance to develop and give them a chance to grow into what is the rigours of week in, week out competitive sport. Um, it's a tough game. It's a tough sport. And, you know, you, you get to the NRL, believe it or not, um, and, and I, I dare say a lot of players that have been there would, would say similar, you get there much easier um, than you think and it's probably a lot harder than you think to stay there. Um, so, you yeah. know, uh, it challenges that conventional thought and that con- conventional thinking of, you know, how difficult it is to get there. But the stats sort of tell you that, it, you know, the average lifespan is about 40, 50 games. So lots of guys get there, but it's hard to, to sort of stay there. And, you know, it's when you have a, a really strong club and a really strong administration and a really strong system um, where players can develop over a long period of time, which I, I think it, it negates the need for, uh, you know, any sort of gap year, right? It's sort of, you know, if, yeah. you, if, you, if you're getting rushed through and, you know, you're getting injuries because you haven't developed and you haven't matured and, you know, you, obviously you've got to grow into the game mentally, you know, then there, there may be these periods where you're going to burn out and players may need to take time away for the, from the game. And, and we see that all the time, right? Um, sometimes yeah. we just don't call it a gap year. It's, you know, they <laughs> find themselves in trouble and, uh, yeah. you know, for, for no reason of, Really, no fault fault of the own. They haven't had that clear guidance, mentorship, and support. And you know, it's a, it's a tough gig and it's a tough world. And you know, you you you're under a lot of pressure. So sometimes you can go off path uh, quite easily. So one conclusion I can draw from this is the average lifespan of a player is forty to fifty games, and you played one hundred and thirty-one. <laughs> so you you clearly <laughs> underestimate your own capabilities. So you're better or than under, undersell your own capabilities. Yeah. Without <laughs> without maybe spending too much um, time embarrassing Corey, I do have some questions about the position that you played as well. Because, um, like especially in the last, I don't know. Do you follow the game like in a lot of detail since you've retired and sort of you moved away from from that career wise? Look, I, I still like to watch the footy. Um, unfortunately for me, my team, the Bulldogs, haven't. You know, fared too too well over previous seasons, albeit or, or they led the storm twenty six nil over the weekend, which is a, you know, a huge uh, yeah, it's... a huge achievement for the for the club and the team. But uh, yeah, so I sort of I'm not super close to it, but I, I still have a very much an interest in definitely you know when the big games come on and when when Origin and, and the final series or the run into the finals on last year, I sort of got out to a, a few of the games and, and was able to enjoy it and watch it. Yeah. Do you, do you consider yourself a, a um, in your playing career a second rower or a lock, or is it more of a mix? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one um, to think about because I probably you know worked out I wasn't probably best suited to starting games. I was probably a better player off the bench, um, and I sort of ended up specialising as a sort of a bench player, and it suited my game more. And you know they have lots of different words for the players and different labels and, and, and position-wise uh, these days. And, and certainly back when I was playing, you had your, your – at some point I remember them calling the halves the triangles and then, you know, you had the edge players and then you had your middles and, you, you know, there's all this sort of vernacular that goes with it. But um, for, And then you, you obviously have the rugby league program that puts players into, you know, positions based on – 
you know, fullback, wing, center, five, eight, halfback, and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. For, for me, I was probably a best suited on the on the ball player, you know, and I was around the ruck, around the, the middle of the field towards the end. And, you know, that position is probably, you know, like a, a tight or, a, or a, you know, a roving style of player um, as opposed to being an edge back rower or, or one of those style, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the you know, the players that sort of hang out a bit, bit wider, you know. So, um, yeah, so that, that would be how I'd sort of, you know, classify myself as probably around the ruck, uh, a tight these days, yeah, or a middle forward. Yeah, because we, we see with the modern day locks, like the guys like Isaiah Yo, who, who played that link man role, they, they tend to be a little bit more of a hands on ball player where, I remember, like the, the the storm used to do this really well with um, uh, Hoffman, um, that wide ed, run, wide edge running yeah. back rower, a um, little bit lanky, um, and then like there was a period in time where the lock was almost like just another forward. Um, mm-hmm. We sort of come back to that Bradley Clyde model of player um, from the early nineties, where he's a bit more of a ball player, the link man in the middle. Um, so it, it, do you reckon in the modern game, you would have, you would have fared a bit better? Do you reckon you would have, it's more suited to your playing style? Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a hard one because when I came through the grades and I came through the Bulldogs and then, you know, when I returned to the Bulldogs, it, it was a very unstructured style of footy. It was, you know, a, a high pace, um, flat style up on the ball, up on the advantage line, you know, attacking style of. Of footy, um, and then I signed at the Dragons as a 19 year old, and they're a very structured, typical sort of, you know, Brian Smith, Nathan Brown style, um, you know, team where, you know, players played in lanes, players played on edges, and players, you know, had, had roles and responsibilities from that perspective that, you know, there was a very clear sort of way, um, that the, the, the team would play as a, as opposed to much ad-lib off-the-cuff style um, footy. And, you know, then I played at the West Tigers, which was different again. It was a, it was a very different style of, of footy and a very different style of coaching. And then going back to the Bulldogs, Kevin Moore, you know, back to that, you know, era of just on the advantage line, getting over the advantage line, playing nice and flat and, you know, building momentum to, you know, Des Hasler style, which is very clinical and very, you know, structured. So... So it's you know it's hard to say, but you know you've got to adapt with your style and you've got to play a different role and, and and understand you know where you can best add value. And I think that was probably one of the things I, I learned um, after I've left the Dragons about the importance of really understanding your role and how to prepare to nail that role week in week out and, and making sure you deliver on it. And, and you know that only comes with experience. And I remember Tim Sheen saying, "You're not a first grader until you've played." at least 50 games of footy because at 50 games, Mark, you've... <laughs> the average player. Yeah. But at 50 games, you've played pretty much every team twice. You've played on all the grounds. You've played in the rain. You've played in the sun. You've played under all the different referees. You've played with big crowds, little crowds, you know, medium-sized crowds. You've been on buses. You've been on planes. You've done all the things. And now you start to get to the point where you really understand how the game operates and what you need to do as a, you know, as a professional footballer to prepare each week to, to sort of play the game. and and be successful at it. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say. I, I'm not sure, you know, if I would be playing much differently today as 
as what I was 10 years ago. I think the game's a bit more quicker and it's a bit more, um, you know, um, focused on a bit more ball yes. movement than what it was probably five years ago when it was a bit more stagnant. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it, was a, it was a slower match. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a running game running. now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. curious when you sign when you when you sign for a new club like you said you signed for the Dragons and then moved to the Tigers after when you when you're doing having these conversations do you sit down and go so what is the actual style of play do you ask the coach that do you actually ask someone how hard is training going to be or like what are we actually <laughs> going to be doing at training yeah. like what what are we going to be practicing hey, like is that, all, is that a, is that a part all good of the discussion that i wish i i wish i knew but it's fine you know? <laughs> i was like it's, how much do yeah. i get paid where do i sign pretty much yeah yeah that was pretty much what it was so i, I think like I, I think this is a, a good reflection and it's a good sort of you know thought-provoking question that you asked here but you know, when I was a young star, like I, you know, I just really wanted to play for the Bulldogs. I was a Kennedy Junior. I came through the grades there, you know, and I was, you know, pretty fortunate to play in some, you know, quality teams with quality players. And uh, the Bulldogs made me an offer to, to stay on for two more years. But at that time, they just had so many outstanding players. Um, they bought Andrew Ryan from Parramatta, who obviously went on to captain the club to a grand final. They had Steve Price, you know, who obviously played. 30-something origins for Queensland. They had Willie Mason, who's probably one of the best forwards in the modern game. They had Roy Azatazi, obviously played for New Zealand. Um, you had Sonny Bill Williams, you know, probably one of the best players of, of the modern era, um, most destructive players and, you know, super athletic. You had Rennie Matua. Um, and then you just had, like, a real, really strong set of um, forwards that at any other club would be outstanding. And, you know, that, that was sort of what sat in front of me. And, you know, I knocked opportunity to join the Dragons and be part of their top squad. Um, the Bulldogs weren't offering that at the time. It was, you know, just to, to be part of what they call the permanent part-timers, whereas the Dragons had come to the top 25. And, yeah, you look at the Dragons squad at the time, you had Hornby, you had, you know, Gaznia, Cooper, Barrett, Riles, Bailey, Timmons, Thompson. Like, it was, you know, just scattered with, littered with, like, origin players, Riles, you know, like... It, Origin and Australian players, they had probably the best roster and it was an opportunity to be part of that and, and be part of that team. So, and then they sort of would like to pay you to be part of a full time contract as well, which was, you know, substantially more than what, what the Bulldogs were offering. Um, but, you know, as you grow up, it all makes sense when you look back and hindsight's a beautiful thing. And, you know, some of those questions I would have liked to have asked is, you know, what's the role I'm going to play? How do I play? Do you want me to play in the middle? Do you want me to play on the edge? Do you want me to play like I play now? Like, you know, where, where's training? Because, you know, it's not in Sydney, it's in Wollongong. Um, you know, like how, how often do we train and uh, blah, 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 all those questions. And you sort of, you know, learn that as you go. And I think it's no different to the workforce, you know. If you join yeah, a new employer, yeah, yeah. you should be asking those questions. I was just that. about to make this point. I'm sure it's helping you now in your professional career. I think you should You know I've how got, many days of training is. <laughs> I've got to go into the office. I've got a like a more specific question. What's the difference? Because Sheens and Hasler, they, there's, they, they've been coaching for a very long time, like overall. And they consider like some of the great coaches – that we've had over the last 20, 30 years. Who's the maddest out of the two of them? <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty straightforward. That's not even in question. I think Haslow would be the, the you know, <laughs> as mad as a you know, box of frogs when you put him next to Sheens. He, Sheens is pretty tame. 
Yeah, yeah. What, what? Very, very different personality. So he, uh, Sheens is uh, yeah, he's a great guy, and I learned a, a, a tremendous amount under him. And he's very, he's been very, very successful in, over a very long period of time. And hmm. you know, Des is he's a different, um, you know, different style of coach, and he, he has a, a different approach, and he's, he's a bit more eccentric. And you know, again, learn a whole heap under him as well, and. Um, very lucky to have two wonderful coaches in, in my career and learn, you know, different styles and different ways of thinking about mm. how, how you how you bring a team up to, you know, um, the, the the level that, that those guys were able to to do it in, in their respective clubs. I think during during lockdown, when when uh, NRL kind of got back got back up and running during lockdown, and they had the bubbles and stuff, there were some stories circulating that the Manly players actually asked for. Des free days in a week because it was getting a bit be too surprised. much <laughs> being yeah. cooped up with Des. That uh, sounds about right. Oh, he's a, he's a character, mate. You know, like, <laughs> of you know, as I said, I've had a had a fair few coaches, but he's also a guy that you know he'll do anything for his players, and he's 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 got a lot of dimensions to him. And I remember uh, we had a uh, a camp up at the Sunshine Coast, and we had a talent night, and. You know, we all did our little act, and there's Des got up and had the guitar and sung Hallelujah to the team, and that was Damn. wonderful. You know, he's been part of a band, and yeah, he's he's just a really good guy, and you know, he's uh, he's I'm I'm very confident when I say this. You know, the the players that played underneath him you know, do anything for him, um, especially take the piss out of him. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was a yeah, he's a he was a great mentor, you know, for the for the guys at the Bulldogs. Do you, is he your favourite coach? Look, it's hard to say like favourite. Um, you know, I, I feel like the the coach I really learned a lot from, and yeah, you know, I, I use a lot a lot of his uh, you know ways of working and, and wisdom was was you know Timmy Sheens. Um, I really like Sheensy, um, and he really. Helped me turn into a, into a professional footballer. That's someone that could play a hundred games. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I necessarily would have got there if I hadn't played under Tim. He he made it. You know, some really you know, um, yeah, you know, some sayings that really stuck in my mind. And yeah, you know, it's all very transferable. And you know, the big the big one for me was you know around the difference between a, a full time you know rugby league player and a professional rugby league player and the full-timer turns up and trains and plays and sometimes performs, you know, up here in, in you know, eight, nines out of tens. In other weeks, it drops down to four and five and then next week, it's up to seven and next week, it's up to six. And then it's, you know, just plateaus and the, the, the performance is very in, inconsistent, whereas the professional player, he, he really understands, you know, his preparation, what he needs to do week in, week out, what he needs to do from a perspective of you know how much sleep do I need? What do I need to eat? What do I need, how do I need to hydrate? What skills do I need to work on? What's the play? You know, do I need to get fitter? This, that, the other, and um, you know, and when you when you do those things and you do those things consistently, well, your performance gets better because you, you tick all those boxes throughout the week. And come game day, there's you know there's not much more you need to do. You know, you've done as much as you can to be um, super successful. So, you know, he was he was definitely a coach. I, I, you know, learned a lot from and I've been able to take that forward with me in my in my life. That's pretty cool. And 
after your playing career, so after the 131 games and then traveling around the world and doing all the amazing things, setting up the Future Direction Network as well, winning Young Australian of the Year, and then you, in 2016, joined the Panthers as CEO. And there was a, a big transformation happening at the Panthers as well, right? With Gus Gould trying to revamp their their youth and their whole um, uh, talent planning and talent succession. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me it was like, you know, the the most exciting thing to, to you know, um, come across my desk at the time and, um, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful region, that Western Sydney region out there in Penrith has the largest local junior base um, and they just, you know, through, through Gus had been able to build this amazing facility. It was probably the best in class, best in the league, maybe even best in the Southern Hemisphere, so to speak, in, in the Panthers Academy. You know, Gus had worked really, really hard bringing in the right people to, you know, develop the, the talent pool that they had out there. Um, they'd started to build, you know, a lot of depth, a lot of sort of young players coming through and, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was an area that I, I'm passionate about, Western Sydney. It's an area that I know well growing up out there. Um, it's also the fastest growing region in Australia. So um, there was a lot of, you know, things for me to look forward to and, and, and you know, really get excited about with the opportunity to, to run um, a CEO for, for the Panthers. And, um, you know, when that opportunity came up and Gus presented it to me, um, I made that move and, you know, I went out there and, uh, you know, it was, it was very, very, uh, you know, interesting time in my career in a, a place where I sort of probably learned a lot about myself and, you know, a lot of, a lot of great lessons. So, uh, it was, it was a good time for me to, to do that. And I'm very lucky that, you know, Gus and, and the board gave me that opportunity. Nice. So, so you were approached, you were headhunted for them? I don't know if headhunted is the right word. I don't know how it works. And, you know, I'm sure the only person who knows how these things work is Gus, but, you know, he's sort of, uh, he's a bit, he's a bit of a, you know, uh, interesting character when it comes to recruitment. I remember him saying to me, you know, like, be careful what you wish for. And, and I'm sure he said that to many others, but, uh, you know, he, he sort of one way or another, it sort of all came together and the opportunity presented itself. Yeah. And yeah, I, I thought at the time, you know what, it's just too good to refuse. And, uh, you know, it was just a really interesting place to go to and see it grow and develop. And obviously, you know, that's about, it was 2016. So that's four, five, six, seven years ago now. And over the last few years, you've really started to see um, the the output of all the, the effort and all the yep. input that, you know, Gus and others had put into to organising that club into a, a true a true force in the NRL. So you reckon it's, because, you know, we're, Newcastle and Warriors have pretty big nurseries or areas. Like, yeah. there's, like if you think about it, Newcastle doesn't have anything between, you know, Gosford like, and the Gold Coast, right? Like that, that, all those areas are should be players coming into into the club, and you know, the Warriors have basically all of New Zealand. But if if we look at the clubs, they haven't really capitalized on it, or it doesn't feel like they've capitalized on it. So. Penrith have obviously done something that's very different or they are doing something that's very different. Yeah. Well, I think it's a systematic approach that Gus has put in place and, you know, he knows, he knows how to 
run a football club. He knows how to manage a salary cap. He knows how to get the players that he needs. And, you know, there's also a view to, to think long term. Um, and I'm not sure all the other clubs necessarily have that same approach of, of thinking long term. The, the cap and, you know, developing players, it takes, you know, five to 10 years and you need to identify them young. You need to get them into a system and you need to hold on to them. You need to retain them. Uh, that's very Hon- honestly, and- Corey, like the Warriors, che- Warriors team changes like halfway through every season. Like you look at the team that started last year and the team that finished last year, there was a completely different roster. And the team that started this year is again different from the team that start- finished last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the same in business. It's the same in sport. You've got to have the same players on the field week in, week out in the same positions, building mm-hmm. combinations, building continuity, building consistency. And only through that you can build results. And I think Gus even called it out yesterday. I had the, the Tigers um, Newcastle game on in the background. And I think Gus was talking about the Tigers. And, you know, one of the things that he'd really like to see out of those guys is them playing together and winning together. And I think that's also one of the big keys to the Panthers' success in that they had good young coach in, in Kevin Serrato in the lower grades. And all those players were able to come through and win together in lower grades and stay together. They didn't leak too many of those players. Mm. At least the ones they wanted to hold on to, they kept them and they kept them through the grades. And then, you know, they, they obviously had a bit of churn with Cleary into Griffin into Cleary again. Um, but they held on to a lot of those players that had learned to win together. And and that's an important thing, those combinations and that confidence and that trust that, that comes with that. And I, I can't say that's held true for Newcastle and I'll probably – dare say it doesn't hold true for the Warriors and you know the the rest of the league has benefited from those clubs, not the not themselves. So yeah. Um that's mm-hmm. probably been a bit of a you know a, a learning lesson for, for other other teams in the in the competition. So Corey, on your CEO ship I have two questions for you. The first one is if an opportunity pops up across the ditch and you could do something as transformational as you did in Western Sydney <laughs> Keen? I could show you around the city, and I'm sure I've got yeah. a few guys who could be your personal chauffeurs. Oh, look, uh, Shivank, I love, I love New Zealand. I do. I really do. If an opportunity came up there tomorrow. All right. I'm just, I'm running, just writing not, some notes. Like, like, make some calls yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, make some calls tomorrow, Ali. Ali tomorrow morning, make some calls regarding. Yeah. It's a wonderful place, New Zealand. And I think, yeah, the, the, the hard thing again is like having a junior competition, a junior team that can be competitive week in, week out, but also retaining those players like i think yesterday they, they did, yeah it was yesterday they profiled Papali, right so he came out of the warrior system into Parramatta. Mm. into yeah now he's into the yep. tigers he's a great player and you know he's a player that should still be in new zealand and there's plenty mm-hmm, of those players should. that the warriors have lost over the years um to, to other clubs so you know that's holding on to him and building consistency and understanding how to build the cap yeah. is important and then bringing players through and this is another great lesson from gus is you know he had teams there where, you know, I think he had grand final winners like Soward. You had, you know, journeymen like uh, Nigel Plum. And you know, he, he brought in you know, a good mix of players to help Panthers, you know, when they were rebuilding, win enough games so the young guys never got belted every week and, and lost, you know, their, their confidence and lost their faith. They, they won enough games to become competitive and they won enough games to gradually bring through players and, and build up players. Just like we're seeing at the Broncos now, where the Broncos are now benefiting from the Fleglers and you know these these characters that have played fifty to seventy, maybe even a hundred games, they haven't won many of them, 
but they're, they're really become <laughs> season first grades and they've been able to plug mm, some yeah. big gaps and bring in some more experience. You've got Walsh at the back now. They've got Reynolds as a grand final winning halfback mm. and building that strength in the, in the roster um, off the back of, you know, a good set of young players that have, you know, built up, you know, 50-plus games in the NRL, putting them in a good position now to, to be competitive in the years ahead. And my second question is, if you do manage to get that CEO ship that Ali is working on, um, <laughs> can you take your, I'm assuming he's your friend and originally a Kiwi, Russell Crowe along? Oh, yeah, Rusty. <laughs> yeah, he, he'd be transformational, but I think he's a South Sydney man, true and true. <laughs> well, I, um, Russell Crowe actually studied at the same school I studied at in high school for a total of, I think it was six weeks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the school is extremely proud that he went to Mount Prosco Grammar for six weeks. They claimed him, Ali. There you go. They claimed him. They're like, Russell Crowe, that's our, that's our boy there. That's our boy winning the Oscar. He was a, he's a Mount Prosco boy. He went to Auckland. He was in Auckland. He went to Mount Prosco. He's one of ours. Australia's trying to just steal, steal them from us again. Yeah. So if he's interested in a homecoming, homecoming no, in air quotes. Yeah. We'll get him involved. She's like, okay. Yeah. You never know. Maybe, you know, him on the sidelines or him in the upstairs in the corporate box brings an Oscar worthy performance on the pitch. <laughs> Cause yeah, no, the less said about the Warriors right now, the better. Yeah, got a hard, hard slogan in front of me. Speaking of, can we actually end the season now? We're in the top eight, as I last checked. So we qualify for, <laughs> for finals after for a finals. long time. Yeah. 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 Stop the count. Yeah. Speaking I mean, of, speaking of top eight, who, who do you think's, who do you think's going to win the comp this year? Yeah, I don't know if I can give you the full answer for who's going to be in the eight. That's pretty uh, pretty complicated. I think top four is pretty straightforward, um, albeit that, you know, I don't know if the Storm will get there this year with the, the injuries that they've got. But I'd dare say, um, you know, the, the Rabbitohs will be up there. The Roosters will be thereabouts. Um, you know, the Panthers probably – you know, figure quite strongly again this year, and I'd say Cronulla will be in that in that top four mix. Um, and then you, you got Manly sort of on the the bounce back. Um, and then you know that sort of like is your top five. Uh, it'd be great for the game to see the Dolphins, you know, be part of that. Um, the Eels, I'm not sure if they can get there, but you know they've got to they've got to the, probably have a. The Dolphins have, a have like an amazing. Dolphins have the amazing record of being the only only ever NRL club to never have lost a game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, who do they play this week? I mean, they've been pretty pretty outstanding two weeks in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've never lost a game, right? Like they're undefeated all time. Um, <laughs> so it's a good start to the NRL. You can, you can never you can never put it past Wayne Bennett for pulling something like this. Yeah, like, you think about how the Titans kicked off. <laughs> yeah, it, it would. I wouldn't put past put it past them if they end up being in the top eight and really, you know, making making a finals run. I, I think they've got a, a super strong yeah. roster. They've got a great coach. They've got a very they've had a very thoughtful yeah. sort of preparation, and you know, it's come out in in their week one, week two result. But 
it's a long season. Um, lots can go wrong. Lots can go right. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they'll, they'll be there at the end of the year in the eight, but they'll be thereabouts, definitely. Mm-hmm. And Corey, your hopes for your hopes and your realistic expectations for the Bulldogs this year? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, like they made all the right noises definitely during the preseason, and they've signed some really good players in Marnie. They've got Ado Carr, mm. um, you know, Kikau, they've got Burton. Um, they've still got a, a, a yep. few guys that they they need to to bring into the top squad um, and you know strengthen it up. I think in the, the first week against Manly, you know, there was a few things that went wrong. You know, the sin bin, a couple of tries went against them. Yeah, it's just, mm. yeah, it probably wasn't truly reflective that scoreline. And then I'm actually not sure what happened with the Melbourne Storm. For them to be down 26 0 is so uncharacteristic for that club. Um, but yeah, this week, um, is, is a test because I think that the Bulldogs played Tigers this week. If I've got that right. Um, and if, you know, if they, if they can't beat the Tigers this week, um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure where their season goes, but, uh, I think, you know, they, they've got to be pressing towards the eight this year. They've got to be, you know, making a run for that, that top point. But again, it comes down to injuries. It comes down to, to what happens throughout the year. And um, I think there'll be a better better squad again next year, 2024, 20, maybe 25, pushing for that premiership again. Ooh. It's a big call. So, 2025. I tell you, if they don't beat the Tigers... They're definitely not winning week four against the Warriors in Auckland. Like, it's just not happening. I Yeah. Yeah. And it's the first game at Mount Smart for the season. It's going to be, it's going to be a full house. It's going to be nice and loud and windy and cold and miserable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All of that. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's the best rugby league atmosphere. Like, <laughs> you know, you think you're kicking off at two o'clock and it's 12 o'clock and, all the time's out of whack and you don't know what's going on. And uh, before you know it, it's 20 nil and you're like, I miss the days when it did used to be like that, when teams travel to Auckland and, you know, were 20 nil and kind of no time. And the, I think I played Stacey Jones and you had Vatavai on, on one wing and, you know, like, yeah. Just you just didn't want to chase the kicks, and no, it was just it's horrible, it was a horrible experience playing over there. You, you play, you played them when they were actually good. Actually, you played, you played in a period of time when both the Warriors and Newcastle were pretty good teams. Mm-hmm. I think Warriors were in a grand final during that period, and Newcastle won one against I want to say the Eels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty eleven. Yeah. Yep. The Eels, uh, the, the, the Knights, I, I remember oh, it was 2005 or four, maybe, playing against Joey, you know, and mm-hmm. geez, that was a, was a great team. Wonderful, wonderful team. And Newcastle had such a strong junior base at that time, so they lost their way with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does that, Kevin, on the Newcastle junior base. I think on that note, while Kevin is um, Kevin is reminiscing about the Newcastle juniors that got lost, the lost generation, we'll, we'll wrap it there. Thank you very much for joining us, Corey. Uh, it was a real pleasure. It was a really interesting chat about all the amazing things that you've kind of done in the NRL career and outside of NRL and after the game as well. Uh, just super fascinating to hear the ins and outs of it. 
thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Siobhan. And thank you for our listeners for joining us. If you want to get sports nerdy with the team, you can always catch up with us on our on our socials at the Backparts Pod on Instagram, Facebook. <laughs>